This is the one with one last romp. A raggedy man. A cursed mini-break. A mummy who's more of a vampire. And let's say intestinal parasites. <laughs> it's called Mummy on the Orient Express. Here, Here we, we go. go. <laughs> Shit. Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistle being an angel's hour. Dalek Cyber Zood and wow! Counting Sonic's rating out. From the poor to the sublime. Echo Center with Ticker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join, Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be. But who back when? Who back when? What ho, podcast land, and welcome to a very special, absolutely historical episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Podcast land, you may already have gathered that this is the first time that we are recording remotely. We are recording over Skype. There'll be a screenshot of the three of us having a chat. And (laughs) so bear with us. We haven't quite figured out the, the technology behind all this. For those of you who are listening to this episode in the far-flung future from where we are... Or even the past. (laughs) You may wonder why we are recording remotely. It is today, the 2nd of April 2020. We are in the middle of, well, we hope at the height of the COVID-19 outbreak. And consequently, we are all in quarantine in our respective abodes. So don't, don't worry, this is a temporary thing. We will get back to you in the normal auditory fashion sometime very soon, we hope. But you may already have gathered who we are as well. You've heard our voices. I'm looking at a screen upon which I see Marie. Hello, Marie. Hello. And Drew. Hello, Drew. Hello. And I'm Leon. And today we will try to have a review of Mummy on the Orient Express. Yay! (laughs) Can't wait to hear more about that. Fred not will have really refined this process by the next episode. <laughs> High level. Did you guys like this one? I did. I really enjoyed it, actually. Good, interesting episode. All right. Drew? I watched it twice and had wildly divergent feelings both times. Interesting. Had you, you'd seen it before, though? Yeah. And I didn't remember it being particularly good. I was, remember looking forward to Flatline, which is next week, a lot more. Oh, which is fantastic, I believe. Was your first or second viewing the one that you enjoyed the most? The second I enjoyed. Interesting. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued to hear what Leon has to say. I too liked this episode. Yay! Everybody everybody liked it. That's good. (laughs) So before we jump into the the meat of this, shall we have a bite-sized chunk of who? Let's... Time for us to synopsize, lubify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free for all we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. Clara's relationship with Twelve has hit the buffers, so to make amends for his miscarriages of justice, he arranges one last jaunt for their itinerary. A no-expenses-paid, stowaway ride on the only space-going Orient Express where sophisticated glitterati can indulge in the faux historical fancies of deep space's roaring twenties. 
It's full steam ahead on the train to Awkward City as Clara gets to freight the Doctor with her weird human feelings for five whole minutes until crones and chefs start dropping like flies buzzing around the leathery dead. Can our hero rally a claret-quaffing captain with just one booze cruise left to retirement, a mysterious expat in exactly their foothold foe they're faced with, and the assorted ranks of the diversely damaged before they reach the end of the line? Bees go. Bees go. Oh, oh, <laughs> you are welcome. Oh, no. <laughs> you did that deliberately badly. So anyone want to start in uh, with anything in particular? Some information. Oh, let's hear it. This is episode eight of series eight. Oh, nice. It was written by Jamie Matheson and it was first broadcast on the 11th of October 2014. Indeed. Jamie Matheson has uh, written two more episodes. No, three more episodes. The aforementioned Flatline. Uh, he also co-wrote The Girl Who Died with Moffat. And he wrote one called Oxygen, which I don't remember at all. <laughs> Oxygen in series 10, I think, is the one where Cap Capitalism has been taken to its logical extreme, and you have to pay for the air that oh, you're breathing in spacesuits. And so they have a very limited air supply on the space station or something. Oh, right. And people are, they're, they're almost dead inside their spacesuits. Is that the one? Uh, I think so. No, I mean, oh, maybe not. Science in the library, but yeah, sure. They can do it twice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> It was directed by Paul Wilmshurst, this one, I mean, Mommy on the Orient Express, who also directed Kill the Moon, which we discussed very recently. Interesting. I seem to recall some of you in this room didn't enjoy Kill the Moon very much. <laughs> I was positively vehement. <laughs> Actually, wait, no, I was extremely negatively vehement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was a nice looking episode, though, as is this. And he, he'll go on to direct one more episode. I mean, to date, he has directed one more episode beyond this one, namely Last Christmas, the one with uh, Nick Frost. Well, yeah. Coming up soon. That's the next Christmas episode. I think so, yeah, which is pretty cool. Right, Leon, I think you should start slash carry on with a question. <laughs> this is not the first time that we've had an Agatha Christie-esque ambience or Agatha Christie references, right? So this is uh, clearly a reference to Murder on, on the Orient Express, even though beyond the aesthetics, that's, that's sort of it. <laughs> yeah, I think like the 20s is just such a glamorous era. And as, like, as soon as um, it opened, I expected it to be like a historical thing. It's like, oh, they're doing the 20s again. Not necessarily as a negative thing, because it is, it just it always looks really cool and it's a really nice environment to be in. But I did like that when you panned out and you saw it was a space train, it's like, oh, okay, it's not going to be as <laughs> straightforward as um, as you thought it was going to be. Last Agatha Christie one I remember was the Unicorn and the Wasp, which is one of my <laughs> like all-time worst episodes. Like, I absolutely what? hate it. <laughs> really? I, I was just going to ask, how does this compare to the other ones? I, I liked this a lot more. And I really, really liked the twist that it wasn't just a 1920s train that suddenly all the facade fell away and they were in this really high-tech lab in in this like now floating train that's kind of as soon as it loses momentum it just starts getting wibbly like it's in water when you see it from the outside oh yeah, yeah. i didn't even notice a, that a locomotive escape room is what they've signed up for yes yeah, exactly basically <laughs> yeah which i think is really cool i've just looked up the episode ratings on whobagwen.com you gave unicorn and the wasp 1.0 marie <laughs> too high too high it's about 2.5 too low i think overmarked <laughs> But I guess Doctor Who goes back to the 20s because you have, what, 
caveman costumes and then victorians in enormous hats and then the 20s is it's like the first decade with its sort of recognizable aesthetic exactly just see that's the 20s well the last set of 20s yeah i liked when um there was the singer and she's obviously singing much more modern oh yeah like pop songs it's like they kind of they always get something a bit wrong and it's so like whenever we do historic films normally you always like oh that person's got a you know that cigarette brand didn't come out until a decade later and there's always people that pick holes in things it was really funny to do it in a contemporary way where it's glaringly obvious that that's the wrong song for the era but actually if you're looking in a far-flung like a thousand years from now they wouldn't know so they'd just assume it's all like earth stuff from that kind of period it's interesting that they've picked a song from the what is it like from the 80s and then it's from it's from the 1970s oh 70s (laughs) sorry it's from the 70s and then they've remixed it to be from the 20s but this is in the future to me that's a little odd but i really appreciate it nonetheless (laughs) (laughs) i was amazed that they got such a big song because previously true yeah i mean rtd has had to call in some mates who everyone has gone gone who on earth is that this song i've never heard before and never will again and now they've got a queen song so i saw some bit of trivia i didn't make a note of this but i saw a bit of trivia that there was an intention to have a music video of this one song be the advert for this episode so instead of a trailer you would have a music video oh that'd be quite cool yeah oh by the way this song got to number nine in february 1979 in the oh. UK charts. So closely on so close. One year, <laughs> one year <laughs> off. <laughs> Slash a whole decade, but yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. I reckon that they got this because we're on the proviso that Brian May, who has a PhD in astrophysics, he insisted you have to go past a black hole. You have to show some amazing cosmic effect and then I'll let you have the song. I can and dig that's it. the yeah. only way they could have paid for it, surely. I remembered this episode having more agatha christie references like i remember there being more similarities to murder on the orient express but i mean there really aren't that many aside from the setting aside from the aesthetics i mean it's not a whodunit it's it doesn't have a detective even though you might say that capaldi plays a bit of a detective in this there isn't this thing where you interview all the different people on the train yada 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 did this match your recollection of it? And do you think it would have been better or worse or more comedic, perhaps, if you had more similarities? It would have been more comedic, but I I think worse, because I think that's been done so many times. That's the sort of expected. As soon as you go murder on the express, then you kind of know how it's going to pan out. Um, so I don't, And I think there's so much else going on. Like the main story was more about Clara and the Doctor and their relationship and regaining trust or whatever it is um and i think to throw in too many like extra characters would have taken away from that so i think they managed to do to kind of find a balance between it being a mystery and the and it's it's really creepy like the mummy is really really scary looking um and the countdown what did you what did you think about the countdown drew well can i address (laughs) one question at a time i was gonna say that all the comedic stuff with the roster of suspects has been done by donna noble never to be equaled in unicorn of the lost <laughs> so of course they had to go in a different direction here to save themselves from being a pale imitation i guess that is true yeah. and we've had it in classic but, as well oh yeah yeah uh, it, yeah robots of death is sort of a sci-fi robot not version of but it it 
does take a little bit from from the whodunit genre. And there it's definitely a case of you, you don't know who the culprit is. You cycle through, I, I think it's a four-episode arc, you cycle from episode to episode, you cycle through all the cast members as potential suspects. Oh, what? so the robots of death, was it Murdertron? <laughs> was, was it Psychelectro? I mean, and they, they all have murderous programming motives is that how it works no there's a dude behind it all oh a dude how about yeah, yeah. all? <laughs> well there's a dude behind this one gus gus do we ever find out who gus is no and that pisses me off in a future episode <laughs> it doesn't come back i assume that it comes back i mean i i've re- uh, okay oh crap this is gonna lead to spoiler town isn't it oh. mm. okay wait hang on drew do you know who gus is well, no i assume that he is just an autonomous computer program who has been programmed by Missy. That's my assumption and as well. And she's yeah. ultimately responsible, but Gus doesn't need to come back. She could just justify him with a single line and move on without skipping a beat. Well, either that or Gus is Missy, which is sort of the same. The voice same, sounds the same. nothing like her, doesn't have the same cadence. It's not her... It's not Michelle Gomez through a filter. No, but I she would could, hate that. Sure, fine. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's it, Gus is voiced by a different actor, but the doctor... It didn't in- feel very Missy-like, I don't think. That's there tr- wasn't that sort of glee in, like, I'm going to make you work out the puzzle. It was more just a very logical, I've got all the best scientists in the room and we're going to crack this, and if you can't do it, then the next lot will do it. That's true. All yeah. valid arguments. I'll throw one more argument into the ring, though, and that is that the Doctor says that Gus has contacted him in the past. Yeah. And why is this one train computer contacting him in various contexts? It, it seems like, or, I mean, it doesn't have to be Missy. It's kind contacted anyone with any expertise in alien technology so of course like i was sat there thinking why hasn't the doctor been invited to this they should have been there on an official invitation not just a gate crashing because he should be in that room and then it turns out that he was invited yeah gus is just a glorified mating list dude let it go (laughs) (laughs) okay fine do you know for the longest time i thought it was going to be frank skinner i thought that was going to be the twist and it was like aha it was me all along because he was just i didn't really understand why he was there yeah that would have made his character interesting yeah I was not familiar with Frank Skinner. I had to look him up. He had the Frank Skinner show. Yeah, yeah. British comedian, quite famous. Oh, he did that Football's Coming Home song, didn't he? The yeah. Dylan Skinner, yeah. Yeah, number one at least twice. Yeah. Absolutely no idea. Three Lions, Leon. Wait. That, that song that you definitely know when are reacting to with stunned silence. <laughs> Him? Frank Skinner did that? <laughs> My only note about him is that he plays Perkins, the chief engineer, and I'm assuming that's a reference to Anthony Perkins. He was on the cast of the Albert Finney version of uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, that's okay. quite cool. Yeah. We've last seen Frank Skinner in a Doctor Who context in the Five-ish Doctors reboot, lest ye forget. Wait, what? what? Yeah, he's one of the, the three Dalek engineers or whoever it is. Uh, ah. yeah. Do you think he's just a really big Doctor Who fan and he just taught them into giving him a part? I reckon so, probably. Because yeah. I did, I quite I liked him in the beginning, and he was very helpful, and he was doing all his stuff and getting, you know, he knows the train very well, and he's getting all the documents together. But then when all the other like holograms disappeared, and you were just left with the scientists in the room, he was still in the room. And like, I don't know why you're here. You're not going to help them crack the code, surely? He wasn't an expert in alien technology, or what? the train needs an engineer. I mean, they're <laughs> we've just blew space on hyperspeed rails. You want you're going to want to have a human backup. <laughs> Anyway, he was he was good fun. He was fun. I really enjoyed his character. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> 
a note of surprise there, Drew. I just thought he took understated to the next level, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I think maybe they they had greater ambitions in making the, his character's guilt more ambiguous. Like they, they, I think in the beginning you're meant to think, oh, this is the mastermind behind this. We're 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 led to believe otherwise, but I definitely suspect him. But so if they hold him at arm's length, we'll naturally suspect. I mean, I'm not saying that it was dealt with nicely, but I think within in no time whatsoever, he is very clearly no longer a suspect. Yeah, he's too nice. He's too charming and smiley. Yeah, I liked it right at the end when he was in the TARDIS as well. But then again, I don't understand why he turned down. He was basically being offered a job to work on this incredible machine that does all these things, and he just said, no, thanks. That's because he's not going to subordinate himself to some machine. He's a man, damn it. It's not going to change for any number of people standing in front of him. I quite like his argument, though, that this sort of adventure changes a man, or whatever it is he says. <laughs> That's a nice way of looking at it, even though I don't buy it for a second. <laughs> Was that directed at the Doctor, as in... Because the Doctor's incredibly cold in this episode about and very cavalier about people dying, and just, well, we'll move on to the next one, we'll save the next one. Was that a reference to, I don't want to end up like you? Oh, definitely. Perkins upbraids the Doctor a couple of times for exactly... Yeah those shortcomings so yeah. that's that's got to be behind this decision i think we've already mentioned the Doctor and Clara, or you did, Marie, to give you due credit, and you just brought this up again now. I think this episode was pretty emotionally intelligent. Mm. I agree. As far as I can tell with my, you know, stunted man glands. <laughs> <laughs> Your man glands. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the pituitary has something to do with it. I, I assume that you're referring to the Capaldi, or Capaldi, the, the Doctor Clara relationship specifically, but do you feel that Clara was in this enough? I think she was. I think she didn't get a barnstorming BAFTA nomination worthy speech slash diatribe like she did at the end of the last one, but she popped up often enough and with enough lines of substance for you to be able to trace a progression and an arc throughout this episode. I think that's it. She, yeah, she wasn't in it as much as she has been, but she was used incredibly well. And you could see the reason why she wasn't in it as well. You could see the doctor being like, this woman's told me she's going to leave me. This is our last thing together. I pushed her too far last time. I don't want to push her again and like not knowing whether to include her or not not knowing whether he should go and wake her up and take her on this adventure or whether he should let her sleep and then yeah the scene where she's in the room with the sarcophagus and the uh, I forget the blonde lady's name Maisie Maisie and the doc says like Maisie's next you have to get her here by any means necessary tell her I can save her and it's just so cold and and then she does and then she just you know she even though she's she knows that it's wrong she doesn't want to lie to this woman and give a false hope but she's still does what the doctor asks her so that seems only quite short but it's quite poignant you agree with us right leon (laughs) (laughs) you were just teeing us up to say stuff that you agreed with i mean you're winning me over but i have in my notes i've written down that she's barely in it for for a story that's meant to be her farewell story i know i mean it, it ends up not being her farewell story but it is set up as her very last adventure she's not in it a lot this is not a clara adventure it's very it's very doctor centric but she gets two phone calls we get to hear her theme plenty <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah that's a valid argument but i still feel like we've had more clara centric episodes in the past and maybe i don't know if i'm right in saying this but maybe it's more standardized in in any show really not just doctor who that if a character if a main character is about to leave the show then you grant the exit for that character is going to be bombastic it's going to be all about them and 
that didn't happen in this one. But you also had the scene, and I don't think any scene in this episode was rushed. So this would have been a couple of minutes again of Clara saying, well, I'm not saying goodbye to you forever, right? You'll you'll come around for dinner and so on. Yeah, they get to, those they get scenes to take are wonderful. their relationships to a few different places. I agree. That was a really sweet scene, I think. Because I think of all the companions, Clara's never sort of like questioned her like right to be there. She just wants, waltzes in and out of the TARDIS and she gets picked up whenever and she, and she just feels like so at home there. And then yeah. just this, that was the first like waver in her voice like, when she was like, oh, like I will see you again, won't I? Like, do you do you do dinner at people's houses and that like worry that by saying goodbye to these adventures she might actually be saying goodbye to the doctor yeah and lose a friend in the process exactly and i do believe that their relationship they have a really close friendship i know we shouldn't i don't want a doctor i just want a friend (laughs) (laughs) nice Just because we've just been watching the latest series with Jodie Whittaker and the relationship that she has with all her companions, and they know absolutely nothing about her. They're sat there going, where are you from? What's your name again? I haven't, like, they haven't made an emotional connection with her. And I just feel like Clara and Capaldi, I think in particular, I really, really respond to their emotional connection. And I feel like it, sh- it showed, like, I don't know. I, f- I oh. I don't know how to say this, but I liked this episode and how their relationship was portrayed, I think. I would agree with you. That's the USP of this episode. The long and the short of it. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I also, I fully believed her in the beginning when she said, this is the last one, I'm drawing a line under it. I don't think there was any, like, waver in her head. Were you expecting her to be in this episode? Yeah, because, yeah, Jim said that, that you two mentioned last week that she wasn't going to be in the next one, but I didn't remember that. Yeah, I totally misremembered. You never said that. Oh, I oh. definitely did. <laughs> was it just Leon? <laughs> <Okay. laughs> <laughs> I definitely misremembered and assumed that she was going to sit this one out and then at a later yeah, stage probably. he's going to come back and, and then she I mean I remember what the end of her arc looks like but yeah. um, no I was really surprised that she was in this I happily surprised I was fully convinced that she wanted to leave and then by the end of it I was I think I was fully convinced that she, like, she wanted to stay do you think that there were, you saw enough of her in between those points to make that logical so this is exactly what I was going to say about the Ooh. change of heart at the end Yeah, uh-huh. I wrote a whole paragraph trying to dissect the pros and the cons and try and figure out what I thought about it. And, I mean, it, there's a lot going on. And this this is why, Leon, I can't buy into she's barely in the episode because mm. there's there's so many points to this. Capaldi, on one level, he doesn't seem to address her grievances. Mm. Um, she, she says that she doesn't want never to see him again. And then she blatantly does want an adventure because she's creeping around. She does want there to be something wrong. And then she, there's a bit about she realises she's been lying to him as much as he has to her and maybe she's lying to herself and then he gets her to lie to Maisie and he makes her complicit but he does save Maisie and then he lied about not being enticed by Gus onto the train and then eventually I end by saying it's not impossible or even implausible but I don't think it's sensible for her to think (laughs) he's only pretending to be heartless I think this is wishful thinking but I've seen enough to understand why It's naughty. Yeah. I agree with what both of you are saying, but I think all of that character development, all of that emotional growth, and that display of the richness of their relationship, of their their chemistry, I think that as well as it's done, and it is done incredibly well, and for me as well, it's the high point of this episode, it still only takes up a fraction, time-wise, a fraction of the running time of this episode. It's, It's quality, not quantity, Leon. You're right. You're right. 
do you think because it's not her final episode I think you're right if, if they knew that literally Jenna Coleman will never be in an episode after this day they would have given her over a bigger more bombastic yeah, thing yeah I mean this basically well, never think... felt like a final episode do you well, think let's it be... compare it with Face the Raven yeah which is her last episode right and it's and... all about her right yeah. yeah but do you think watching this the first time around you wouldn't have thought like, do you believe it when she says this is our final run I believe that she believes it but I also know that something that the writers or the the you know the the team has something else in store for us yeah okay what what he said <laughs> speaking of how much Lara lies and how many people she lies to in this episode she also lies to Danny ah um, yes mission accomplished <laughs> yeah I mean, and technically I think, yes well yeah <laughs> But I do think, like, my initial view of Danny, I really, really hated him. I thought he was so controlling. I thought he was manipulating her. And the more I watch these episodes again, I think I completely changed my mind about him. And I think, actually, he's been an incredibly supportive boyfriend. Last week, she came to him absolutely distraught from this horrible thing that she'd been through. And rather than him saying, oh, it's okay, you can stay safe with me. You don't ever have to see that nasty man again. He said, no, calm down. Go and sit, have a send-off with your friend. Like, leave on good terms and then come back to me. And so... So he's he's been there to support her and comfort her, uh, but also let her do her own thing. And then she repays it by lying to him. Like I feel like she's in the ba- like the bad books here. Yeah, not just lying to him, but lying to the doctor about him. Yeah, reporting back a completely different conversation to what we've just seen. And she blames it all on Danny. So she's like, oh yeah, yeah, he wanted me to stop, but now it's okay. Um, so of course the Doctor's not going to like Danny because she's manipulating both of them to not like each other, basically. I also got the impression towards the end that the Doctor knew what was going on there. Oh, really? I think there's a shot of the Doctor overhearing, like basically eavesdropping on her conversation with Danny. Yeah. And just yeah. raising his eyebrows and going, oh, oh, really? Is this happening now? Yeah, the TARDIS is probably transcribing... <laughs> as text everything they're saying on the screen in front of him it's like opera subtitles <laughs> was that the point where she said i love you to danny and the doctor was a bit shocked by that was that there that is point? that as oh, well i, I think there's that. one other li- i can't remember what the line was in particular but i okay. think there's one other moment during that scene yeah. where capaldi just goes oh okay no i mean i get what's going on here or like uh, yeah maybe he's even disappointed at what she at hearing what she's telling danny and then afterwards because she's saying the exact opposite it's i mean it must be clear to him that this is all a lie yeah yeah to come back to our revision or revisioning of what we thought in 2014 now it's enough to make you sympathize with the people who make this show when we hated we all as a nation hated (laughs) danny pink first time around i wasn't on the internet making a big stink about it but lots of people were and we were completely wrong yeah (laughs) the actor has been like why does everyone hate me and and Moffat is being like I put so much care into making him likeable why is he public enemy number one sorry (laughs) (laughs) yeah sorry Danny my bad It's so interesting, though, how like how you can see something completely different. As a... Yeah. In 2025, people are going to be looking back on Chibnall's golden age. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little sceptical about that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've got some questions for you. Go for it. We haven't really talked about The Mummy. Oh, yeah. The Mummy takes 66 seconds to kill you, if you yeah, are the chosen one. 66 seconds to go. <laughs> what if you don't run? If you don't run, it just takes its sweet time. Yeah, and it'll just taunt the build. So what if you stay still? It's walking towards you. Just suddenly you stop backing away. You stand still. Is the mummy just going to stand around, check its wristwatch for 66 seconds, and then touch your temples? Yeah, well, yeah. I think so. 
Wow, this gonna, is so clear to you it's guys. It's just going to scare you <laughs> and like try and get you to give it all your like firstborn children and all your worldly goods and I don't know. But what if you're... I don't think anyone just calmly stands there and... Well, what if you yeah, did? But, well, then the mummy wouldn't enjoy it. It'd be like, oh, come on. What, what have I got to do? Have I got to drag my foot some more? And then people <laughs> hate it when I drag my foot. Why is 66 seconds? The foot was so good. Yeah, the foot is really um, good. I- well, if it was Halloween and you were on your own and someone come up to you and you were like, dude, that's an awesome costume. Where did you get it? <laughs> um, and you just weren't scared at all. Yeah. And there'd be a few seconds of, wow, this guy really doesn't want to talk to me. OK, this <laughs> stick is old. I'm going to go get a drink. And then it would just touch you from behind at the appointed time. <laughs> <you'd be> <laughs> like, Where did you get that costume? Wait, let me guess. Let me guess. Did you get it from this shop? No. Did you get it from that shop? Oh, OK. You know what? I give up. And then it salutes you and turns into <laughs> dust. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, that was the one thing that made me question how did it not happen before? Exactly. In many thousands of years and tens of thousands said. of encounters. Surely that's a phrase that lots of victims will have uttered. And how often does it have to, does it need a new victim? I mean, it's happening like, what, it happens four times, I think, during this one episode. So four times in, let's say, an evening. So basically, because it's a soldier and it's in this confined space and it's you were all the enemies, it would just pick off everyone that's near it. It's not using them for food or anything. It's just killing people that because it thinks it's at war. So if there's no one around... Why is it picking it the weak anyone. ones first? Yeah, and why is it taking all their energy? To reboot so it can kill the next one. Oh, okay. But... Okay, yeah. it's, re- it's replenishing its weapon, I guess. But you would never be able to transport this document, that this flag that it follows, anywhere. Because apparently it has to kill someone like at least once an hour. So once an hour, whoever has the flag is in big effing trouble. Like, yeah. there would never be a time when there were, weren't a mummy, you know? Yeah, the, the Express presumably has left the station on some planet or in... With 700 uh, people on board. Yeah, in geostationary orbit, some station. It's left that seconds before the start of this episode. Mere seconds. The planet (laughs) should be in the background, retreating. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, you'd run out of people. If you had something that's killing a person an hour, you would just run out of people eventually. That's when you send out the mysterious summons. You include, bring your grandmother for free. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, why was the grandmother on the... That was never explained. <laughs> Food. Oh, she's in deep space. Oh no! There should be a there should be a little bit of like a toe of Gran falling oh. out of that pan as it rotates outside the window. It's like, oh. I recognise that toe. I mean, I, have to massage I meant the food for the mummy, but I get it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> have you guys seen It Follows? No, it's it's a that? very cool horror film. It's basically like The Ring, but instead of a VHS tape, it's an STD. Oh. It's really, really good. But it, it's exactly as I just said, like, instead of if you watch a, a videotape, then you'll die within five days or whatever it is. It's if you sleep with someone who's cursed, then mm. someone will slowly amble towards you and then kill you unless you sleep with someone else, in which case it'll go oh, to that person. so you have to pass it on. You have to pass it on. And if it kills that person, it will then go back one step and kill you. So you have to pass it on forever. Like, basically, yeah. you so have the to, biggest sluts you can find. Yeah, you have to bone faster than this thing can amble. But the way that the mummy walks through the carriage looks exactly like this spirit or whatever it is and it follows. 
um, walks through crowds. It's very, very cool. Okay, other questions? Okay, so the Doctor does the wonderfully brave thing where he takes on Maisie's memories to fool the foretold into thinking that he is her yeah is it the memories well it's like yeah it says like think of all your like anxiousness and misery and whatever because it because then he keeps shouting back at her in this when he's only got 60 seconds to live he keeps going oh you really did hate your grandma didn't you and oh i can't believe that and da 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 yeah oh your dad was awful yeah like he does take on all her memories but yeah a why does the 66 seconds reboot because he was like aha now the foretold thinks that i'm you therefore you've already wasted 15 of your 66 seconds surely and b he just randomly says to the Parker, like, oh, yeah, start the clock now. But there's no flashing of lights. There's no... The mummy hasn't just reappeared. It's just a random... So what happens there? Yeah, there should have been a flashing of lights, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I assume that the, the mummy has to lock on a target to initiate the phase shifting of the energy. So that's exactly how long it takes once it's acquired its target. It absolutely should not reset. Yeah, it resets. It resets because the energy that it needs to shift phase with is coming from a different body. But doesn't the doctor even say, I have transferred the shift phase? Like, I am now in that phase. It thinks I am you. He's already in it. Oh, he shouldn't have said that. When he says all these things, yeah, he's already in it. And then about five seconds later, he says, start the timer. Because if, I mean, if the mummy thinks that Doc is, uh, what's her face, Maisie, there would be no, uh, I don't know what I'm going at. I feel, I feel like the Doc just goes, listen, he's targeting, the, the mummy is targeting this woman. I'm going to pretend to be this woman. There wouldn't be any need to recalibrate the recalibration would only be there if he changes target, but he doesn't change target. He's still focusing on the woman. It's just that he happens to see the woman when he looks at Capaldi. Yeah. Oh, this is a nitpick. If, if, he's, <laughs> if he still sees the woman, then he's he's going to kill an innocent who hasn't got any trauma in her head. Has she now been cured, by the way? Is she now well-adjusted? She's she lost all her memory. In a deleted scene, yes. So there was oh, a, I, I really? kid you not, yes, on TARDIS Wikia, there's trivia about a deleted scene wherein also Maisie appeared on the beach at the end when they're on this <gasps> other planet. Yeah. And in this scene, it became clear that she was no longer traumatized. She was perfectly at peace with herself. It's completely zen. Yeah. And apparently this is because he took all of that trauma onto himself. Oh, I am very pleased. Yeah, well done, Jamie Matheson. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what a guy, Jamie. Well done. Here's to you, Jamie. Mm. <laughs> oh, chin chin. Jamie. <laughs> Forestalled every conceivable question because I still don't agree with you guys on the other thing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Should we talk cast? Yes. Ooh. Go for it. Because there aren't any massive stars in this episode, but there is a lot of telly heritage. Oh, oh really? well, let's start with the woman we see at the very beginning, Mrs. Pitt. She's played lady. by, yeah, the hundred and something year old. She's played by Janet Henfrey, who is an alumna from my alma mater. Really? Oh, yes. Her first credit, acting credit on IMDb is from 1963. Wow. Uh, the year that Doctor Who began. Wow. Yes. And she is still working in such fine and reputable features as Sill and the Devil Seeds of Arrowdor. Oh, I'm a big fan. Big fan. I assume it stars Star Wars Sill. <laughs> <laughs> 
also Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Oh, no way! Okay. <laughs> Does she play a zombie? Uh, I, I think she played a dowager. Okay. She was also Miss Hardacre in only the first two episodes of The Curse of Fenric. Oh, all right. With the... Seventh Doctor. Seventh Doctor. <laughs> oh, we're so out of sync. <laughs> he was drinking. <laughs> the Seventh Doctor could come out of the woodwork at any time. <laughs> yeah. He is a mischievous demigod. So yeah, you've got her. 50 plus years of acting talent there. That's pretty incredible. Warhouse is played by Christopher Villiers. His first acting credit is from 1981. Nice. Mm. And he... he he was in Sliding Doors. <laughs> oh, no way. That's a film I have heard of. <laughs> As Steve. I can't remember Steve and I've seen it six times, but oh, I'm no. probably kicking myself. <laughs> Good old Steve. Right, I, I'll speed this up. The captain is played by David Bamber. He played Lord Aran in A Very English Scandal, written by our old chum, RTD. Oh, yes. And he was, he was in Victoria, opposite a certain Jenna Coleman, as the Duke of Sussex. All right. Mm, all right. And Guts is voiced by dear old Johnny Sessions. Yes. The He's the lovely par excellence. Darling, he knows everybody. On his IMDb page alone, there's a picture of him and a fresh-faced Peter Capaldi, just out of school from a 2003 episode of Judge John Deed, and he plays Lord Russell in Victoria, alongside Jenna Coleman. Wow. I, that's, that was the only cast detail that I found myself, because the second you go to his IMDb page, that is just front and centre, him and Capaldi. Yeah. Mm. He also played Mycroft in uh, Mr. Holmes. Oh, the one with Ian McKellen as Aged Holmes? Yeah. Mm, sad. Mm. Oh. <laughs> oh. No, I mean, the film is really sad. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> sessions, how could you stoop so low? <laughs> cool. All right. So did John Sessions' character of Gus have a plan to capture the mummy? Oh, it's supposed to, yeah, because he had the sarcophagus. But if this is yeah, Missy, well, why? Why? It's just the ultimate weapon. You can just release it on anyone and they'll kill them within 66 seconds. Yeah, the master slash Missy isn't going to turn down the ultimate weapon. Are you mad? Mm. <laughs> Are you not mad? <laughs> and it's just this like mystery that's been around for thousands of years and she's intrigued by it why wouldn't she want in on that yeah she's an love interest love yeah. it exactly it's a hobby <laughs> collecting psychopaths <laughs> oh hang on wait 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 i'm looking through my notes i have another cast related note oh but it's it's i i can't give you any names of actors but did you also find that they specifically cast and made people up to look like famous scientists? What, there was like the Einstein, Einstein guy. Yes. Yes. It's definitely Einstein. I feel like oh. there might be a Sigmund Freud lookalike in there as well. Oh, really? Oh, the guy with the redonkulous beard and glasses. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh. <laughs> yeah, what they should have done is they, they should have had them look like that for the first half of the episode and then all the 20s appurtenances are taken away and they're just revealed to be just the most boring looking human blobs <laughs> they weren't supposed to be um well like it wasn't supposed to be einstein was it there weren't people from different periods of history i don't think so no no because what would einstein know about aliens while we're talking about the cast i forgot about Maisie, who plays who is played by Daisy Beaumont. She was in loads of episodes of Star Stories, which I will recommend to anyone. Go watch Star Stories. It's the Star stories. maddest, dumbest thing Channel 4 ever made. Oh. 
Never heard of it. Comedy? It's basically, it's ba- yeah, it's a comedy. It's basically a send-up of celebrities with really half-assed sort of impersonations. Just everything's played for laughs. It's great. I love it. Oh, very cool. Okay. She's very prim and proper here. She is not on that. (laughs) (laughs) Drew, I was going to ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Given that you have very recently caught up on the Eccleston season. Uh, I haven't seen The Empty Child yet. Oh. That's the next one. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. I'm mere minutes away from, are you my mummy? (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was a nice callback, though. Yeah, I agree. I thought that minute of Capaldi monologuing was amazing. Where he said how he manages to process all of Maisie's lifelong traumas. And he's doing that while dropping references to previous Doctor Who and going through multiple steps of figuring out the mystery. And he does it all in a minute. And it is a bravura performance. Oh, absolutely. I really love the fact that he managed to redefine the scroll as a flag. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember being fairly wowed by it back in the day so it wasn't a surprise this time but i think it's still really clever and one of the better devices they use to set the doctor apart on an intellectual level yeah when he says like oh let me watch it i'll decipher all this in 60 seconds and it's like what like i was trying to think if i was looking at this mummy how would i describe it in 60 seconds what details would you notice and it's coming at you and it's trying to kill you and very little other than it's a mummy and it's terrifying. <laughs> so yeah, the fact that he managed to pick out all these extra little bits while still doing all the other stuff as well. So yeah. And this is coming right after we've had two other people in the lab carriage yeah. be affected Supposed by the mummy. experts who exactly. he's given more than adequate instructions and they're just gibbering. Yeah, and I mean, the first one pulls like a space luger. Oh yeah, that, that does look quite cool. <laughs> it does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But by comparison, he is so incredibly astute, so observant mm. and, and capable of deduction. So that's where I guess the Poirot-esque qualities come into play, which is really nice. It's time limited, so he only gets to be Poirot for 60 seconds. Are any of us here sort of Poirot slash Agatha Christie fans? Really? Uh, that's a big fat no. I mean, I, I read a few of them as a kid and I loved the uh, David Suchet series also as a kid. Because I didn't pick up any verbal echoes of any of i mean to drop one of poirot's catchphrases would be tremendously gauche and clunky Mm. but i don't think he even sort of approached that general area the the borders of the semantic field were untouched so they must have done that deliberately they must have been like we we can't do this because everyone will groan we're going to do something else and i think that was a sound decision i agree me too but it is not what i remembered this episode to be yeah what did you dream up what dreams have you been having I just remember this being more of a detective story, a pastiche of Murder on the Orient Express, but with a space mummy. I remembered the mummy being a soldier. I remembered all of that stuff, but I, it, as in all of that stuff, I remembered it being a soldier and it, there being tech behind it and so on. But I yeah. also remember this being a, yeah, a detective story. Does everything in your head after enough time eventually sort of morph into parody? (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) Drew, you said that you enjoyed it more on the second viewing. Was there anything in particular you didn't like the first time around? Yeah, it was the Doctor's callousness. I guess that would have shocked me more on the first viewing than on the second, because I knew to expect it, and I knew that it was 
perhaps for a purpose, although how far you can trust the Doctor in mm. which bits were just his character and which bits had an ulterior motive, uh, I don't know. So, yes, I, I don't think the Doctor needed to be as cold as he is. Is is the Doctor just flat out on a spectrum now? <laughs> yes. Capaldi in particular, we, we were talking about this, me and Jim, just earlier about is he that cold in other episodes and looking back over the previous two series. And he absolutely is in certain ones. Like the Into the Dalek is the prime example. Yeah, when he lies to Ross. Here, Ross, swallow this. This will make you feel better in a few seconds. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember anyway that any time where Matt Smith was ever that cold. And so I do wonder whether part of Clara's coming to terms with this now is just the fact that she's coming to terms with this is a very different man. And and I know she's been with Capaldi for a long time now, but in your heart, you still think he's got to have something in common with the first man that you got to know that you, you know, risked your life for. And now you find out that he, he's just so, so cold. And he does make the point this time to say, like, when you've got a gun to your head, you don't have time to mourn. You know, the longer they spend being sentimental about the people that are dying the, the you know the more likely the next person is to die which i totally get but yeah it's just a very yeah he reminds me of people i met as an undergraduate or just undergraduates i meet who technically they are correct right yeah. as capaldi is correct like if you remove all the extraneous elements from your brain and you just strip it down to the cold hard rationality you will most efficiently make the correct decisions but also you will alienate everybody that you know yeah. and you are being a complete bell end and nobody will like you so don't expect that and some of them are fine with that and some of them can't understand it at all and i'm sure i was like this in many ways perhaps i still am physician heal myself i don't know it's again i guess what, what am i saying it's realistic, I suppose. I know people like that. Maybe I should have stayed like that. Am I just conforming now? <laughs> <laughs> You're evolving, Drew. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I should go back. There must be a happy medium. <laughs> I would like to know Abby's thoughts on that. <laughs> <laughs> there are hints in this episode of a disconnect between the Doctor and humanity in general that are then... I don't know if they're exacerbated later on. They're highlighted later on. So in this one, we have him not understanding her facial expressions. There being a discrepancy between what her face is saying and what her words are. You're smiling. No, what is it? A yeah, sad smile. Exactly. Yeah, you're sad, but yeah, you're smiling. Understand. Yeah. How do you even do that? It's like you're broken. <laughs> it's like you're malfunctioning. And then later on, as I recall, there's at least one instance where Clara walks around with cue cards for him because he's so bad at interpreting human emotion and, and acting <laughs> or interacting with other people. So she's given him these little action cards of smile and, and or whatever it is. Yeah. And then fast forward to the next Doctor, she seems at times even more disconnected. So maybe this is something that's happened in the era post-Matt Smith only. Yeah, maybe. In you who, certainly. Well, what about Tom Baker? What's his emotional range like? Is it fairly recognisably human? Yeah, I mean, he's he's like a mad human. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you want. He's perfectly human. He understands, as in perfectly human, he understands human emotions and he himself exhibits the full range. It's just that he's insane. So he bounces from point to point on the spectrum of human emotions. Whereas Capaldi in this one or Whitaker in the next one occasionally will not even understand what that range of hum human emotion is. You know? While we are talking about continuities between Capaldi and Whitaker, mm -hmm. Capaldi had a long scene, or a long scene broken up into two, 
of talking to himself in this episode. Mm. Yes. And Whitaker does that a lot. Yes. Tom Baker does that a couple of times as well. Does he? I really liked it. I thought that was a, a really, really good scene. Because this is, this is when he's in the room and they've gone, they've, both gone to bed in separate rooms and he's like talking to himself and it felt like this is what he's going to have to do now if Clara leaves then he doesn't have anyone else to bounce ideas off so he's going to have to just talk to himself yeah. is that when it happened yeah, yeah exactly yeah that's good well done <laughs> yeah it, it's probably going to change how I feel the next time I see Whitaker doing it because I've always felt that when she does those scenes it's a bit underwhelming and she's always a bit uncertain and I agree with that I, as well, by the way. Oh, okay. I think it's a little child. When she does it, it's the way that you have outwardly expressed inner monologues in kid-friendly television. Like, oh, what's going on? Oh, what am I thinking right now? You know, like, it's a little bit, it's a, it's a bit more didactic, a bit more pedagogical, whereas in his case, it, it seems schizophrenic. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That is it. You just described that perfectly. Thank you. Oh, well, you're welcome. <laughs> and also, I didn't expect thanks, everyone. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> that viscerally to your description but wow you nailed it dude <laughs> either that or i'm further down this bottle than i anticipated mm. oh, well done. <laughs> seems like that's going down well drew <laughs> very well this <laughs> not having to drive thing does have its perks mm. <laughs> marie i believe about an hour ago you asked me about countdowns i did i do, I oh, do yeah. believe how did you feel about this week's countdown drew well after seeing the worst countdown i think i've ever seen last week (laughs) it could only be better Mm. and i think actually this is a pretty good tutorial if you will of how to do countdowns correctly because the first one it's a surprise it's a cold open great i don't have anything as yet that i'd rather be seeing in the episode okay it's a countdown immediately I guess I'll have to go with it. And there's a conversation that's carrying on between the grandmother and the granddaughter while it's happening, and she's acting very well, so the interest doesn't wane. And then in the second countdown, you have the mythology expert, Professor Morehouse, and what he is saying is being enacted out on screen in a different part of the train, and we see the chef reacting to it, so he is informing that. So I very much like that too. And then Capaldi's, as I've already said, is a minute of pure gold, and the captains in between, they, they all serve a purpose. They are all essential in their way. You get to finish a countdown on all of them, obviously, apart from the doctors, but normally we get so close to the end and then someone, you know, pulls a trigger and the bomb doesn't explode and the world is safe and everything's fine. But these one people do die at the end of every countdown. Yeah, these are countdowns with teeth. Exactly. <laughs> doesn't matter whether they end on 0.7 or 007 or 0.1 no they're they're going all the way to the end well done countdowns (laughs) and they're in real time and they're superimposed on the screen i quite like the uh on the screen bit actually yeah me too it was cool yeah because yeah that's the annoying thing with countdowns usually is like it's 30 seconds to go and then three minutes later we're still counting down but it's nice (laughs) to see it actually done (laughs) while you watch yeah in fact if i had seen this episode before Kill the Moon. I would be rating Kill the Moon even lower. <laughs> 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 clearly they know how to do it properly. Yeah. While we are talking about Kill the Moon, I think the end of this episode, when Capaldi and Clara are on the beach, it would have been better if he hadn't had to mansplain choosing between bad options the very next episode <laughs> after Clara did it. Yeah. After he forced her to do it 
in yeah. Kill the Moon. And then Clara asks, do you love being the man making the impossible choice? Well, clearly he doesn't have to do it every week. It's what he does all day, every day. Oh, except last time. <laughs> <laughs> I think we talked about this in our Kill the Moon um, review as well. Yeah, but we didn't anticipate it being picked up on and completely Immediately. contradicted. Yeah. Immediately. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, these A and B units are not talking to each other, although they had the same director. Very confusing. Mm. I also thought it was a bit of a redundant question because of course he loves it. Have you not seen him? Like, that's what he lives for. Yeah, that's what 12 of him have lived for. Yeah. I've got a question though. Okay. Okay. Do you guys tolerate seeing people dying on screen less now that the current situation is one of stay at home because civilization is ending? Do you know what? I don't think it um, it came into how I saw this. I think if if it had been like a virus one, I think it would have been a lot more on the nose. But because it was such an instant, like you've got 60 seconds and there's a monster coming at you, it like it's not, yeah, I don't think it... It's still a, a, like a bit of escapism for me. Like we've been watching so much on the news and reading all these things and it's been like, it's been really horrible. And so to watch this, I know, you know, it's people dying still, but it's still escapism. I don't think it affected me in that way. Okay. Yeah. Come on, Leon. Casting vote. Entirely compartmentalized for me. This is not, a, I mean, Doctor Who or my appreciation of it is in no way affected by... Oh, no, actually, you know what? I, I guess I'll second your argument that if we come across an episode that's about a virus, then yeah, I will make an automatic association with the current predicament. But aside from that, no. No, they're completely different. All right. I found myself mentally theorizing or armchair theorizing about... Ah, well, because uh, people haven't been suffering a war for plenty of time in this country, they can be fine with just watching this show where people die every week. And, well, isn't this exciting? And, no, it's not. It's horrible. And guess what? We're surrounded by it now. And I don't like this anymore. But I guess I can suppress those feelings for the sake of the podcast. I'll be I'll be an obedient little psychopath. Don't worry. But it's... Um, Glad to hear it. <laughs> are, there, are there more death in in the more recent episodes than there were, like, looking back over the doctors in New Who or in Classics. I don't know. Do you feel like life is a bit more disposable? Does... I guess it was just heightened by Capaldi's attitude to it this time, yeah. perhaps. Because we've always had people, like, people have always died. It's not, you know, it is a, it's a family show, but it's not, a, they don't pull punches in that respect. But there's always a lot of compassion and a lot of sorrow and yeah. Like, mourning. Whereas, yeah, if it's just that, just cold well, people are going to die, let's just get on with it. That's that's very different in the light of what's happening at the minute as well. Mm, thanks, that makes me feel better. Someone gets me. Oh, I have a question. Oh, no. We can't hear sounds transmitted through space. So the chuffa-chuffa sound effects of the train, they must be piped in through speakers? Wow, I, I believe someone said something about nitpicking earlier on. <laughs> 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 but that's my thing. <laughs> Uh, Jim also did uh, comment on the steam coming off the steam train in space and why that was necessary. <laughs> That's my boy. <laughs> I think if we're okay with there being a, a spaceship that looks exactly like a steam train that goes along, what was it, like space tracks, yeah. laser tracks, some nonsense. Hyper space loops or something? <laughs> then I'm okay with there being steam. I mean, I'm assuming it's not steam. I'm assuming it's something else that's made to look like it. It's okay, a, it's okay. a, Slash it's nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> Hyper-realistic reinterpretation of the 1920s steam train. Why wouldn't there be? It's probably like LEDs or something. Yeah, very possibly. Okay, next question. Why does the doctor who turns up the second people slump to the floor dead, why does he wear his white coat everywhere he goes? 
or when someone starts screaming, does he turn the perfectly normal coat he's wearing inside out? Ooh, I like that. That second one. Because who goes around just, yes, yes, I'm a doctor. Haven't you seen my coat? <laughs> Maybe he's the official trained doctor and he's actually on duty. You know what? I didn't even pick up on that chap wearing a white coat. Does he really? Yeah. That's ridiculous. He makes this, <laughs> I noticed because he makes the same motion towards the recent corpses every single time. He moves forward in exactly the same way. He's got one way of moving. Oh. <laughs> That's probably why they cast him. <laughs> you look like a doctor. Hey, that guy's wearing a white coat. Get over here, buddy. We've got a job for it. <laughs> oh, oh, and the sequence where Capaldi says, am I standing near the the mummy and it, its fingers reach through his face oh that was so well done that's very nicely done yeah that was cool yeah and they've added some added some sort of distortion effects like a distortion filter on uh, over the footage of capaldi so that when the finger goes through him it kind of wobbles around him like it distends him oh it's beautifully done yeah right that's it from me shall we rate this let's do it and now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 Ratings. Okay, so as I said, I think this episode is very well thought through for the most part. We've raised a few questions. We've picked a few nits. If the corpses are leached of almost all energy on a cellular level, shouldn't that mean the bodies are cooled almost to absolute zero? Shouldn't they be freezing? Shouldn't that doctor have his hand frozen off every time he approaches? Anyway... That's my final nit. I think it's very well acted on. <laughs> Although Perkins is a little on the vacant side of inscrutable. I've talked about the device of the Doctor's cleverness. I think this episode is really well paced. It's not rushed. It feels, in a positive way, a bit like an episode from a few series back. Specifically, I was reminded of human nature, where people have time to breathe and develop relationships. Not only establish relationships, but take them places and take us with them and have it not just feel rammed down our throats before we're whizzing onto the next scene without time to process it. And there's a smattering of humour. I'm very disappointed with the breakfast bar <laughs> and all dying. <laughs> but all these good things aside, I can't love this episode because it's cold and stony. And apart from Clara, it's very, very old. Maisie is in her 30s, I guess. Everyone else is of pensionable age or worse. <laughs> Ages, Drew. <laughs> well, I just, I mean, let's not go into the question of whether this needs to be a kid's show or a family show or whatever, but it's very elderly. And with Capaldi playing a guy who hasn't had an emotion in 1900 years, I really felt that. So I did like it more on the second watch. And talking about it now, I'm only going upwards. I think it's a bit of a grower, but I can't go too high. So I'm going to go with a 3.7. 3.7. Nice one. Good stuff. <laughs> Marie, you or me? I can go. Okay. So just to follow on from uh, Drew's excellent review, I think you're right. It is incredibly well paced. None of it felt rushed, but none of it felt slow either. When you were talking about the scene on the beach that got cut, I was thinking, oh, that'd be nice. Why didn't they include that? But what else would they have cut from it? And actually, it doesn't feel like there's any sort of extra material there that you could have got rid of. It does feel like quite a tight production. What was the other thing Drew said that I wanted to pick up on? Oh, Basically the all of it. The, knit, <laughs> the, the picking of the knit. I feel like when we get down to that much nitpicking, it just shows you what a good episode it is. Because if the worst things you can say about it are that, you know, I can't even remember. <laughs> I was scratching my head at one point. Yeah. <laughs> 
Like, it, you know, it can't be all that bad. I'm glad that they didn't go too overboard with the Agatha Christie references, because I think that would have immediately put me off and made it quite a low-scoring one. But it felt fresh. The monster felt like a real threat and a real mystery. I like the big reveal. I like the, the setup with the murder on the Orient Express and then how it completely transformed and was suddenly, oh, you you weren't, you didn't choose to be here. You were placed here and actually you're working for us. And it was all very, there's this like evil, you know, ethereal voice that's coming in that we don't know what, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying at all. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think they could have improved it if the doctor had said, who is number one? And the <laughs> Gus had said, you are number 12. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um, but anyway, all of that, just very, very nicely done. I don't have too many complaints at all about any of that. But the thing that elevates it to a really, rather than just a good episode, is a great episode, is, again, I'm sorry, it's always comes straight down to Clara. She's so good, and her and the Doctor are so good together. And I loved the, we went on a complete emotional journey with her, and you saw her logic, and you saw her enjoying herself and it's not just about the doctor it's about her and she she wants this life she's not ready to give up on this life and to be fair i don't think i would be like it must be such when she talks about is it an addiction for you and it's so sort of on the nose for her like he says i've never tried to give it up and that's the point i think where she turns around and says well i'm not going to try either and um I don't know, that was such a nice sort of twist. And by the end of it, I was with her when she was ready to turn her back on the Doctor and I, and I felt like I understood her reasons. And when she turned around at the end and said, no, I'm going to continue with her, I was absolutely with her again. And I was so full of joy that these two are going to carry on together because I think they're such a good team and she's a fantastic companion and they, they work together so well. I'm taking a few points off because of how shady she is with Danny. Poor little Danny sat at home trying his best to support her and she doesn't even she doesn't give him the chance to support her properly because she's not honest with him. But overall I loved it. I would watch it again. Uh so I'm gonna go with a four point four. Very as a whole, I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. Uh, it's nice to have a setting as well as the uh, the aesthetics, the general ambiance associated with Agatha Christie and, and uh, her stories. But that's kind of where the similarities end. And I'm not saying that because it's a bad thing. I'm saying it because I'm not a priori inclined to award it bonus points just because of its Hercule Poirot-ness. Doc is great, though, as always, and I say though because Capaldi is the sort of super sleuth here. I already talked about that a little bit. Uh, fun, acidic, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I had totally forgotten that Clara was in this one, and I was very, very pleased that she was. But it is a little strange that I did forget uh, forget about her because she and the Doctor have such an interesting chemistry throughout this episode. But it is, on the other hand, a little understandable that I forgot about it because I still maintain... She doesn't have that much to do in this. I do like all the little notes about their relationship, though, about the possibility of her continued travels with the Dockmeister up until the end, which made me incredibly happy. Uh, I want to echo that sentiment of yours, Marie. But it also didn't seem fully substantiated to me. Maybe a little bit more time could have been spent on that. I don't know. I'm marking this down really, okay, paradoxically, because it was so incredibly good that I felt that it was over far too quickly. Uh, it, it's, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> What I mean, you can take points from it. <laughs> it's so fun, it's so fast-paced that you just, you fly through it. I watched this over breakfast today. And by the end of it, Clara gets an arc, the Doctor gets an arc-ish, but no one else does. And the overall mystery that is at, at the heart of every Agatha Christie story, the question of 
who done it seems to me to be abandoned entirely in this one. We even had the conversation of like, is Gus someone? Is Gus going to reappear? Who could Gus be? This episode doesn't deal with that at all. It's just abandoned as a plot line, and we can only assume that it'll be revisited later on, you know, further down the line. Anyway, great idea. Fun romp in general. Marvel's production value. Future iPads are full of bleepy bloopies. Blah, 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 blah. I'm giving this a 4.1. Hey! That's our man in the middle. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Nicely done. (laughs) Going forward, whenever I've written something beforehand, I would like to hereby formally request that I go first, because I feel like Drew never (laughs) believes that I actually wrote this down. (laughs) Shall we have some listener minis? Yeah. Yeah. Get them up. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Kablamatron, welcome to the listener mini section of this podcast episode. We have four listener minis for this what? one. What, what, what? What, what? <laughs> the fourth one literally came in while we were recording this evening. Fantastic stuff. Uh, but first out of the gate, doing this chronologically, we have Jim the Fish. <laughs> Jim. Hello, Jim. Hi, Jim. Jim starts, this is by far the very best Mark Gatiss script that Mark Gatiss never wrote. The story chugs along, see what I did there, without one bad, (laughs) boring, or plot derailing moment. (laughs) Derailing. Only gaining (laughs) speed the further along it goes. It might be strange to think of now, but there was a time that nobody believed this episode would be good. After the nuclear level letdown that was Kill the Moon... (laughs) Thank you, Jim the Fish. Oh. It was <laughs> it was widely perceived that the following episode would be a throwaway Gators level rom about a choo choo in space. One thing I didn't get: why would Clara say that leaving the Doctor was Danny's idea? What was interesting about this last episode is the fact that she chose to stop travelling with the Doctor, making it Danny's problem sounds a bit too rom commy for my taste. It doesn't help Clara's character development, which was quite good so far, in my opinion. Did Missy set this up that Gus was, I don't know, part Cyberman? Because his on-screen monocle logo looked a hell of a lot like a Cyberman's eye. Could it tie into the finale? Hmm, not sure. I loved the Frank Skinner cameo and was glad he was smart enough to not travel with the Doctor. Oh. And Jim the Fish concludes, Watching this again made me feel like everything was good and perfect, and the only worry in my mind was whether or not the Doctor and Clara would survive this time. All doubts, all logic, all cynicism was cast out. (laughs) And he gives this a rating of 4.0 out of 5. Excellent rating, Jim the Fish. Nice. Next up. Star Wars Sill, Star Wars Sill, Star Wars Sill. Sorry, Star Wars Sill. You were crying there, guys. Come on. I was in the middle. One of you was ahead of me, one was behind me. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Star Wars Sill really enjoyed the scene where the Doctor was talking to himself, trying to figure out what percentage of sure he was that there was nothing wrong on the train. It was endearing. I also really enjoyed the plot. Star Wars Sill continues, The ending was a little painful, but not because I thought it was bad. 
Danny Pink is a precious human being and deserves Clara's honest self. But Clara hasn't quite reached a place where she believes that too. It wasn't her choice to tell him in the first place. It was something that couldn't be helped. And now we see she still isn't quite ready to be honest about something so important, so central to her life and who she is. It makes me sad for Danny, but it fits Clara's character, growth and progression. The mummy itself looked good, and I liked how they solved the mystery and trouble. And finally, we are one step closer to Missy, and I am very excited for it. 4.3 out of 5 trains in space! Whoop, whoop. Excellent rating! Choo choo! So choo choo! Still. Oh, I was gonna do the same thing! <laughs> <laughs> You'd better not edit that so you get in first. <laughs> So tempting. Hadn't even thought of it. So tempted now. <laughs> that is a spiffing mini Star Wars sill. Thank you very much for sending it in. Uh, people who are not Star Wars sill, you should go ahead and follow Star Wars sill on Twitter. Star Wars sill can be found at Star Wars sill. Star Wars sill. Star Wars sill. All in one Maybe word. And Star Wars sill. Star Wars sill. Star Wars sill. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Star Wars sill. Thank you, Star Wars sill. Next up, we have the Doctor Gamer. Hello, the Doctor Gamer. Hello, the Doctor Gamer. Hello. <laughs> The Doctor Gamer. The Doctor Gamer starts, When I said that there are some good stories coming up, I meant this. This story is the best Doctor Who story since the day of the Doctor. What? Wow. Holy <laughs> And Doctor Gamer begins with some... None. <laughs> okay, where do I begin? The pace of this story is perfect. Next non boof The characters <laughs> are well written and you actually care about them. Take notes, Chibnall. Next non boof The way that Clara decides to stay with the Doctor is the best explanation possible. And the final non boof <laughs> 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 the way the foretold was defeated was also the best explanation possible. The Doctor Gamer follows this up with some beefs. But it's more of a shrug, really, because there are none. Yeah, it's just a vacant ellipsis. Overall, says the Doctor Gamer, this is one hell of a story and is the best in Series 8. Ooh. I'm giving this a 5.0. Holy moly. <laughs> Holy smokes. By the way, says the Dr. Gamer, the next episode is also a hit. See you then. Oh, okay. <laughs> Loving the enthusiasm. Good stuff. Thank you so much, the Dr. Gamer. <laughs> People who are not the Dr. Gamer will be pleased to hear that they can follow the Dr. Gamer on Twitter. The Dr. Gamer can be found at Dr. Gamer 789. And next up, we have a review from a new Robbie Eleanor. Hello, Robbie. Welcome, Robbie. Nice to have you on board. Well met, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> Bienvenue. <laughs> Willkommen. Oh, nice, because he's Canadian. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and Robbie begins. As soon as the mummy on the Orient Express began, I had questions. Didn't Clara say she was done with this? Furious at this man, never wanting to see him again. But here she is, happy as can be, jumping on this train for a new adventure. Robbie continues, but the episode as a whole I had fun with. 
The mystery was enjoyable. As it unfolded, I was enjoying it. The other characters I found interesting and compelling. But I had one problem. It's a mummy. I know it's not a literal mummy, but still. I just couldn't get past it. An alien or beast would have been fine. But a mummy just took me out of it every time. And Clara lying to Danny at the end, a complete 180 from where she was at the end of the last episode, irked me. But the journey to get there, besides the Clara bookends, I did very much enjoy. Especially the Are You My Mummy reference. It was fantastic! So I will give this episode a 3.5. Ooh, you are a tough man to please, Mr. Robbie. (laughs) 3.5, eh? And he also says thanks. I thought that was a fantastic mini. Yeah, super polite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is a fantastic mini. Thank you so much, Robbie Eleanor. <laughs> In addition to uh, congratulating you on the excellence of this mini, we would love to congratulate you and your girlfriend, Alicia, on your anniversary last week, presumably, given when this episode will drop. You can, in fact, follow Robbie on Twitter. He is at Robbie S.E., as in super excellent, but you may also want to sneak a peek at Robbie's Instagram, which is what, Marie? It's uh, Grayson Grid Cosplay. And I have I have already hit the follow button and I have seen have some fantastic images. The Fan Expo Canada, when uh, Robbie and his girlfriend went as Ten and Rose. That was pretty amazing. I mean, it's all amazing. Holy moly. Oh, no. There's so much in there that's really cool. Everyone, you should absolutely, if you don't have an Instagram, go and get an Instagram just to follow Robbie on Instagram because it's worth it. Yeah, seriously. We saw that picture of them as Tennant and Rose and we realized we are not a cool enough podcast for them to be fans (laughs) of. We're really going to try and up our game for you, Robbie. I'm, uh, yeah. There's also some like Marvel stuff in there. There's Star Wars. There's Power Rangers. There's Star like... Wars still. You might enjoy it. Very impressive stuff. So thank you very much. And welcome aboard. Very happy to be traveling down this temporal road with you, Robbie. Bing bong. We've got a future listener mini as well. This one comes from Michael Ridgeway. 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 <laughs> That was half fun, actually. On my end, that sounded super out of sync. (laughs) (laughs) On my end, end it sounded perfect. (laughs) Hello, Michael. Hi, Michael. (laughs) Hello there, Michael. Love you, Michael. (laughs) We should say, so this is now being recorded like a good couple of weeks, I think, after we recorded the review proper. Time has no meaning anymore. Time is wibbly wobbly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This morning, Drew has stepped out of the room, but Jim has stepped in. Hey. <laughs> Michael starts with some likes. First like. The horror, the horror from the scary mummy nicked from the vaults of Hammer Films to the It Follows. I feel like I made that comparison. The It Follows 66 second inevitable doom. This was one super scary journey. The current horror of COVID-19 threatening our most vulnerable friends and family added to the eerie nastiness of this tale. That's what Drew said. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Michael also likes the doctor's sociopathic callousness, or was it, mirroring the cruelty of Gus. He then adds a couple of boobs. The poor scientist extras didn't get a word in. I wanted Einstein to help. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, tech gone wrong again. Sounds familiar, Moffat. Ah, yes. He adds a question or questions. Did the doctor let everyone else suffocate? 
he joked that he did, but we didn't see the others. Mm. Yeah, true. And Michael offers up some trivia. The actress who played poor Mrs. Pitt, Janet Hentry, meets a similar fate at the hands of undead monsters in Seven Doctor Story. <laughs> The Curse of Fenric. <laughs> and in summary, fantastic story, great script, terrific acting, top-notch effects. What a great journey. And he gives this a rating of 4.6 out of 5. What? Poor gourmet chefs being blown into space. Gus, that was just plain mean. Super mean <laughs> and unnecessary. <laughs> Holy moly, 4.6. That's a fantastic rating. Uh, it's very close to yours. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. So I see. Join me up here, Michael. <laughs> Thank you so much, Michael. That is an excellent mini, as always. People who are not Michael, fret not, you can follow Michael online. Michael can be found at bad... Underscore. Movie... Underscore. Club. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> Love you, Michael. Love you. All right, let's get back to the show. Bing bong. What have we got coming up next, though? Next up, we probably have a classic C100. 100. 100. The Stones of Blood. Oh, super looking forward to that. I've already seen the first couple of minutes of it. It features Stonehenge and some druids, which is a win in my book. So, <laughs> totally on board. Sounds excellent. The next new Who is going to be what, Marie? Uh, I think it's going to be a really great one, according to the Doctor Gamer. <laughs> and also Leon. And? Uh, <laughs> and also Drew. <laughs> yeah, everybody, do you know what? Everybody's looking forward to this one. I uh, hope it lives up to the hype. Let's just preemptively called... <laughs> give it a 5.0. <laughs> yeah, it's called Flatline. Mm-mm. And at some point, not entirely sure when we're going to fit this in, but at some point we're also going to do an audio who review and it's going to be a double feature, namely of Deimos and the Resurrection of Mars. That sounds yeah. really could, cool. Could be tomorrow, could be a month from now. We don't know. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> We're bored. We might just get round to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm up for it. I'm up for it. Yeah, yeah, sure. What are you doing this weekend? In the meantime, you can say hello to us on Twitter, I believe. Um, Drew. Yes, I am at Drew Backwen. And Marie, are you on Twitter? Actually, you're not on Twitter, but you're ish on Instagram, possibly coming back to it. I'm cur- Do you know what? I'm feeling the Instagram love today, and so I'm going <laughs> to give out my Instagram again. It's uh, I am at, what am I at? Hamash and Jelly. Nice. That's the- two m's i'm gonna try and post a little bit more from the confines of my house for the next few weeks so uh we'll, we'll see if i can get creative <laughs> yeah expect a lot of cat pictures <laughs> <laughs> you can high five me online as well i'm at ponken p-o-n-k-e-n i will uh, high five you right back until the next time if you're listening to this uh, as we are recording it ish then please stay indoors stay safe stay healthy and be rad and excellent to each other rock on and uh, Ciao, ciao. Bye-bye. Love you, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. 
Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao Here we go. Here we go. Oh, no. <laughs> Should we try it with a countdown? Okay. okay. <laughs> Three, two, one. Here we Here go. Go. What? Three, three, there. <laughs> what? 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 There might be a slight delay. Okay. <laughs>